When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Special edition of the Spurs show. We're delighted uh, to be joined by uh, not many Tottenham players out there that can say they've got an FA Cup winners medal, but this one certainly has. Please welcome Vinny Samways. How are you, Vinny? Good afternoon, gents. Yeah, fine. And yourself? Good, thanks. Yeah, how, how are you and the family all dealing with lockdown out there? Um, well, obviously we're getting on with it. It's mm. uh, it's not easy, like like for anybody, but. I think obviously we just got to go by what people are advising, and um, and just hopefully in the next few weeks it starts obviously relaxing a little bit. But um, yes, it's been it's been difficult and strange, that's for sure. I mean, you're 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 in Spain still, so they say you're almost at least two weeks ahead. Have they started easing things slightly over there? Yeah, they have. Um, they had a real strict. Um, lockdown for around five weeks mm. and then they've allowed um like the construction um workers um obviously the pharmacies and supermarkets have always been open mm. and now last sunday or saturday or sunday they allowed uh families to take their kids out for a walk for right. a minimum of one hour um because obviously people have been stuck inside with young kids for for weeks on end so yeah. and now that they're maybe in the next week or so they'll obviously go to another phase of, of relaxing it a little bit more but I think that's obviously all hearsay at the moment but um, but at the moment at least we've got decent weather so that helps yeah. a bit anyway <laughs> Absolutely, it's, it's raining here. By the way, what a surprise! Um, well, look, let's start by let's let's start by going back to kind of how you 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 got into football. You, you obviously brought up in Bethnal Green. Did you support a team as a kid, and who kind of helped you early on to really think, oh, I, I want to make this a career? Um, obviously, I'm, I'm I'm from Bethnal Green, and my local sides obviously then 
would have been from where I am, like West Ham or Lake yeah. and Orient. But we've always been, my, me and my family and, all, and my wife's family, are all been Tottenham supporters forever. Um, wow, so the, for me to obviously have the chance to go and, and train there as a youngster was obviously um, like a dream come true. And obviously I had offers to go to Arsenal, to Crystal Palace and um, a few teams up north that once you're your beloved team comes in for you or are interested in allowing you to train there. It's, there's no other option for me then. When uh, where, where were you playing when you got kind of scouted at a young age? Um, obviously, I was playing for my, my local sort of, um, what would it be, a local team, but I got scouted when I was playing for my district team, which would have been oh. East London. Right. Um, and I got scouted from, from there. Um, and then I started training um, two nights a week um, from the age of around 11, 11, 12 years old. Right. Wow. So you were there from a very early age in that in that setup. Who um, who else who then progressed from that stage in the, in the youth team? Who else was in that team that also made the grade professionally? Um, at the time. Um, mm. Obviously, they're a couple of years older than me, but the team I was playing in would have been like David Owls would have been in it. Mm. Um, Neil Ruddock was was training with us, obviously as a young age. Then he, he left the bet. He obviously came came back. Steve Sedgley, that um, mm-hmm. Steve left to go. I, I believe he went to Coventry and then That's obviously right. came back. Yeah. Um, who else would there have been? Um, trying to think. Uh, off the top of my head, that would have been the sort of ones yeah. that stand out. Um, yeah. So how old were you when, when they sort of said, we want you to sign professional forms? On my, it was either my, I think it was my 17th birthday. Um, wow. I got offered uh, a professional contract, which obviously was, was amazing. Um, and obviously then things progressed really quickly because then we started playing like South East Counties. I think at the time they had sort of two divisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously then it went from there to the reserve team. And then once in the reserve team, I was fortunate enough to be, to be put into the, to train a few times a week with the first team and then just progress from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, your first opportunity in the first team uh, kind of came at the end of the first season under Daniel, uh, da- Daniel, David Pleat. So I think you were like 18 um, and you were picked to go uh, with the first team. I think it was away at Notts Forest. I think the senior team obviously had the cup final coming up. That must have been unbelievable to play in that. Se- I mean, I, okay, they, they, we rested a few of the senior players, but to play in that sensational kind of 87 side at such a young age, that must have been unbelievable. No, it's amazing. And um, if I'm right, I believe it was that year where, where Clive Allen scored a phenomenal mm. amount of goals as That's well. Right. Um, yeah. And obviously with the likes of Glenn Oddle, Ozzy and all the great, great names have come that I've looked up to as a, as a youngster mm. was like my idols was just, was amazing. And um, like I said, it was like a dream come true. And obviously David Pleat, uh, gave me the chance and I'd ought to ever be grateful for that. Yeah, because I think you started 
you actually started the team a week or so later, ironically at Goodison Park, where obviously uh, en- ended up. What were the kind of butterflies like when you knew you you know you were starting a game? Yeah, no, it was obviously you get nervous anyway. But I mean to, <laughs> to make your full to make your full debut um, because again, I think that was only a, uh, a week or two before the, the yeah. cup final or whatever. Right. And, um, we obviously they put out a week inside, but we was going up against a, a top top Everton side um, mm. at the time, and they weren't going to show no mercy. But I mean, to be quite honest, it was a marvellous experience because Goodison Park is a mm. fantastic ground with great atmosphere as well. Yeah, did the, I mean it was? You're right. It was um, May the eleventh. I'm looking here, and the cup final was five days later. Did you travel with the club to the final against Coventry City? No, no. We um, obviously we we travelled with the not with the the squad. We as a um, employees of the club, they they arranged obviously for um, all the the staff to mm. to be going to to the cup final, but not with a squad. No. Right. Okay. And then obviously the following season, David Pleat left under a cloud for well for curb crawling. I think it was the, the main reason. And uh, it was that that same month is when you made your home debut uh, a 2 nil win against Sheffield Wednesday who was the caretaker because I know Tay Venables came in in December can you remember who was there then between those couple of months who sort of looked after the team Jesus Christ that's a yeah, good question I no I know I'm asking I, I, I can't remember it, either <laughs> it was, I would say at the top of my head it would have either been Peter Shreves yeah. or it would have been Doug Livermore and Ray Clements. Yeah, Maybe yeah. that's the ones I, I think it could have been um, them kind of uh, names. Mm. Well, that, te- that team that day on your home debut, just to remind you, playing a lot, but you were playing, the, the team was Clements, Fairclough, Mabbott, Stevens, Mitchell Thomas, yourself, Ardiles, Paul Allen, Clive Allen, Nico Klassen. That's, uh, you mentioned you were a Spurs fan. And that must have been unbelievable, finally running out uh, at White Hart Lane. Could, do you remember that game and saw that Sheffield Wednesday match? Yeah, because I think you always remember your debut. But I mean, mm. you remember your own debut more than anything because, yeah. like I said, I've sat in that stadium many years watching watching the team play and obviously dreaming one day that mm. you would run out there. And, and to run out with such... Um, top players and like I said one of my idols growing up um, and still is to today was Ozzy Arbelez and mm. to have the chance to play with him and then obviously to be managed by him was, was obviously was amazing Yeah, and then obviously in December that season Terry Venables came in and I think he first picked you in February, it was away at Oxford and then after that performance you cemented yourself in the side for the rest of the season. What was, at those early stages with him, what did he want you to do on the pitch for the team? What were kind of your instructions? Well, obviously, I think when, when Terry comes in, when came in, obviously Terry is a, a total football man, comes from a, uh, with a great CV. And um, at the time, we didn't have many naturally lefty, left-footed players. So obviously me playing on the left, was obviously just to get on the ball and and obviously try and make things happen, which obviously Terry always encouraged you. Even if you made a mistake, he'd always encourage you. He'd never 
um, sort of try and neg- give you any negative vibes. And mm. so he he just really went out, was just worked for the team and obviously then try and express yourself um, with your own talent. So um, he was a joy to play for. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that sort of football, not in the whole season, but when he came in, bizarrely, we only won... Th- three of our last 14 that season and Venables made a lot of changes for the following season he brought in Gascoigne Stewart Bergson Eric Torsvet and Naeem uh, but then you started that season in midfield with Gascoigne and Waddle uh, which must have been unbelievable in itself and you got your first goal for Spurs I believe and a 1-1 draw at Notts County in the League Cup do you remember that at all do you remember the goal no, no, I don't remember the goal at all. <laughs> the thing is, I should be, I didn't score that many, so I should, I should remember them. <laughs> you might remember your first goal at the lane was against Wimbledon in a 3-2 win. Uh, and I think we had Gary Stevens on the show a few weeks ago. I think that was the same game that Gary Stevens got really badly injured when Vinnie Jones went through him. Do you remember that goal at all, the first one at White Hart Lane? Yeah, I do remember. I remember that um, goal, and I do obviously remember the game because obviously Gary got a, yeah. a really bad injury, unfortunately. But uh, but games against Wimbledon at that time was always difficult because they were very competitive and um, very good at what they what they did. So um, so yeah, no, they were um, obviously um, a difficult team to come up against. Yeah, I mean, Chris Waddle uh, that season was top scorer of 14, followed by Paul Stewart So it's with 12. So it's clear we need another striker. And obviously the club went out and got Gary Lineker, who joined us the following season. And we also brought in that close season, you already mentioned him, Steve Sedgley came back, Pat Van and Howe came in. That's three big characters, three very different personalities. What were they all like to get on with? No, we had... A, we had um a very good dressing room. Um, mm. Of course, obviously, totally different characters. But, I mean, totally different backgrounds. And, and like, obviously, Gary coming from Barcelona, um, one of the best strikers around. So um, we were fortunate. We had like a mixture of youth and experienced players, but, um, but a very good camaraderie. Yeah. Because off the pitch, then, we all kind of started to get wind of the financial problems. And obviously, that came to the fore when... We sold Chris Waddle to Marseille, which was obviously tough for the fans. And I assume it must have been tough for the team to take as well. Yeah, I think any team who loses someone of the calibre of like Chris Waddle, because mm. at the time, as a wide player, was there many better around? Difficult mm. to to find because, uh, like I said, he, he was naturally, naturally left-footed but played on the right and yeah. Obviously, always looked to come inside, but he had that great, like feint where he would you make that to come inside, and he his explosive pace over two or three yards was was phenomenal to get away from his marker. So yeah, it was a it was a massive loss to us. But again, like you said, the finances obviously came in, and the, the club obviously needed to to raise some money. Mm, yeah, that 89-90 season when you, I mean, I think first cut, I think well, we suffered a couple of times, you got in the team and you started playing really, really well. And I remember uh, scoring a goal, uh, a really brilliant performance, a 3-0 away win at Old Trafford in the League Cup. And we've got uh, we've got a clip of that goal for the listeners right now. Moran, 
Lineker's in there lurking and that means danger to Manchester United until the offside flag went up. Moran, Lineker pulling right, Samways going ahead of him, that's beautifully constructed by Spurs and Samways is in on goal, 2-0 to Tottenham. Cracking goal, too. Scored by Samways, and Manchester United, whose defending has not been conspicuous by its excellence, they're caught out again. And this time, Lineker is the provider. It was a marvellously thought-out pass, and Samways ran on unattended, and his finish was calm and precise. And then when, um, I mean, you started scoring goals a bit. Then October, you got your very first goal against the Arsenal in a 2-1 win. Uh, let's have a listen to that, that great goal now. It's pretty spectacular. Great free-kick man that he is, if he could do anything from this range against Lukic. He's going to just tip it in there, I would thought, for Mitchell Thomas maybe, or to Paul Walsh even. Samuels. It's in there! small defection on the way but Finney Samways gets his first of the season against the team Tottenham always like to beat but for so long have failed to do so from way out past Lukic, the back of the net Spurs in the lead, 1-0 You mentioned there Vinny, you're a Spurs fan so to to, to to score a goal against Arsenal, that must be something special. Yeah, that was that was sort of the be all and end all um, because <laughs> the, the rivalry obviously still is um, up till today. But I, I believe back in those times was was a lot more. Um, when I say fierce, I don't mean in a, a more, lot more competitive because most of the players were were British players. Mm. Um, so obviously they understand the rivalry between the two clubs. Um, yeah. So obviously just to beat Arsenal was always a, um, a great thing, but to score in the game was obviously uh, super special. It obviously means a lot to the fans, but off the pitch, did um, did you socialise with any any of the Arsenal boys at all? Were you friendly with any of them? Yeah, obviously um, I think away from the, the pitch, um, mm. every everybody's got their friends. Um, in the club, so yeah, that, that's that's solely when when you you walk across the white line, and then it's obviously friendship goes out the window. But after that, it's, it's uh, there's no problem whatsoever. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, again, the following month you scored again in a three-two win at Crystal Palace with a deflected free kick, and the team was going somewhere because we kind of we finished third that season. Well, we won at Old Trafford, won at Stamford Bridge, but then you you were out the team that season from about February. Do you remember why? Was that because Naeem was preferred to you at that stage? Yeah, I think, um, obviously, when Naeem came in, and at the time, um, I was still playing sort of left of the midfield, and yeah. obviously, it was it was between sort of me and Naeem in and out, and obviously, 
at probably that time, he had his uh, good run of form and, and was in the team at my expense. Yeah. Well, look, let's talk about the famous FA Cup win after this very short break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back from the very short break. It's the magic of podcasts for you. Um, obviously, the following season will go down in club history for the FA Cup win. Bizarrely, still the last time Tottenham Hotspur lifted uh, the FA Cup. We mentioned there before the break, you and Naeem, kind of at this stage, were sort of vying for a place in the team. And then tactically in midfield, we also had Paul Stewart started playing a bit deeper as well. Uh, now, looking back at that season in the league, Gazza actually missed quite a few league games that season, and you started playing in the cup games. Do you think, and we started playing, I think we played better in the cup games, was there a stage in that season when the players kind of, even, even maybe subconsciously, kind of thought the cup games, you know, could be where it's at, and we had a real chance of doing something? Do you think the league form fell away because of that? Um, well, I think traditionally, if you look over the years, Tottenham always had a um, a decent run in the FA Cup. It was always mm. um, had a decent amount of uh, trophies, i.e., winning the, the final. Um, so obviously, every time we went into a cup competition, because it's it's a one-off, or whether it's a two-legged, or it's, it's it's like a it's a knockout competition. So we we believed on our day we was as mm. good as anybody. Maybe we weren't consistent enough, which it wasn't maybe, it was the truth. We weren't consistent enough to to win the league over um, like a nine-month period. But on yeah. our day, we, we genuinely believe that whoever we come up against, albeit Man United and Liverpool and Everton, if we performed to our, to our potential, we, we were good enough to beat anybody. So in any cup game, we, we fancied ourselves for sure. Mm. I don't know if you remember the third round of that cup, we played in awful uh, conditions up at Blackpool. It was a very, very windy day. Do you remember that game? Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> Do you really? I remember, <laughs> I, remember, I remember Eric Torsford did a goal kick. Mm. It went outside the 18-yard box and blew back back <laughs> over. The thing. It went for a, it went for obviously a corner kick. To you're thinking this is this is unreal. This is impossible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do remember that one. It was um, that midfield then. It was very kind of interchangeable and fluid. I mean, you mentioned there Terry Light having you on the left. We had Gazza in there, Howells, Stewart, Naeem sometimes, Paul Allen. Um, were you given? What were your 
kind of instructions this season because there was I mean there was a lot of competition for places in midfield at this stage so what did Terry kind of want you to do for, for member you kind of played deeper you fed you a bit like a metronome you kind of kept the pace of the midfield going for memory yeah I think obviously we all knew obviously Gaza was sort of your your traditional number eight that sort of played yeah. play your attacking midfield player and it was obviously for us to to, to keep the game flowing and obviously try and feed feed the likes of Gaza or Paul Allen, whoever was in them advanced positions, obviously feed them in good positions. So yeah. it was to obviously get the game flowing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for March that season, it all started clicking. Uh, and you, you, you played the fifth round against Portsmouth when uh, Gaza was sensational. It was a tough game. You remember Gaza scored a couple of goals that day. Uh, at Portsmouth, but then you missed out in the um, quarter-final uh, at home to Notts County. Were you kind of worried then, oh, God, are we going any further? You know, is, is the gaffer going to prefer me or Naeem? Were you sort of worried at all that you weren't going to cement yourself in the team at what could be like the most important moments? Well, obviously, you you want to play every game, and mm. um, especially a, a quarter-final of an FA Cup, obviously, I didn't play, so obviously you're thinking. Obviously, once they <clears throat> once they win the game, does the gaffer then stick with that team in the semi final? And but obviously, in between the the, the quarter final and the, the semi final, there's a, a lot of league games. So then, yeah. once you get your opportunity in the league games, it's for you to demonstrate and cement your position in the team where he can't leave you out. Yeah, because um, I mean, obviously, I'm just looking now after that game in the league. We we were to Villa. We lost three two. You scored in that one. We drew nil nil QPR and drew at home with Coventry. So the so the form was certainly the form and the nil nil with Luton. And the form was obviously going out the window a bit there in the league. When did you learn you were going to start against Arsenal in the semi? Um, it would have probably only been. Um, Obviously, uh, a few days before the game, the, the week building right. up to the <clears throat> to the game, when when obviously we start doing tactical play and and that because obviously, um, if I'm correct, I think um, Terry put out a, a totally different formation when we played Arsenal in the semi, which mm. obviously I think sort of threw them off their guard a bit. Absolutely, it, it did. I mean, again, for for younger listeners. Uh, Arsenal that season were going for the double and they were they were big favourites to win. And we had Gary Mabbott on the show a couple of weeks ago and he, he he kind of, he said that the players got wind that the Arsenal boys have already had their cup final suits fitted and that kind of thing. Did that kind of, kind of G the players up even more to go and do a number on them? Well, I don't know if it G'd you up anymore because what more g up do you need than, than playing one semi-final against Arsenal? Two at Wembley, um, so I don't think you need any more gearing up than that um, to actually go and perform. But like you said, we were super underdogs because Arsenal were were doing fantastic in the league, and it was like it was a foregone conclusion that we mm-hmm. didn't have a chance. But inside inside our camp, we thought we had a very good chance. Mm. I mean, you mentioned that Terry did things differently uh, tactically. I mean, that first. 30, maybe even 40 minutes. We were absolutely sensational, weren't we? Yeah, I think I, I think 
it surprised Arsenal, to be quite mm. honest, because, um, but obviously it suited us as well. It was a big pitch, fantastic surface. Um, so obviously for a footballing team, obviously you couldn't want any, anything else. So, um, but everything clicked that day. And um, like I said, it was just, this is where I said, on our day, we believe we, we could beat anybody. Yeah, that's um, obviously the, the Gaza free kick uh, is is now was then and will always be an iconic moment now in Tottenham's history. What was your memory of the goal from being on the pitch? It was was this the kind of well, thing he was doing in training? You know, well, obviously um, we we do um, practice in training all the time, but so early in the game and so far out. Obviously, I was standing around him talking. Mm. And I, I never dreamed he was going to try and uh, <laughs> uh, go for it. And, and you're thinking, what's he going to float one into the middle? I'm looking, who is he yeah. going to float it to? But then you can yeah. tell by his run-up mm. that he's not going to float it. He's going for it. And you're thinking, ah, this is this ain't going anywhere. And it did go somewhere. It went in the top corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, we've heard so many stories about Gaz on this show from Eric Torsfent, Gary Mabbott, Chris... Waddle. Have you got any stories about Gaza from off the pitch that stay with you these years on? Because he was quite a character, wasn't he? Well, for me, this is only my opinion. I think he, if he hadn't got injured, um, obviously in the cup final, yeah. I think he would have been one of the best centre midfield players ever. Mm. Um, I think that's how good he was. The guy had everything. He, he could play, he was strong, he had goals, he worked for the team. He was, he was your, what they call now, your real box-to-box midfield player. Mm. Um, so, um, but I mean, memories, I just remember having the pleasure to play with a guy. And um, I mean, so humble, so down-to-earth, but just loved playing football. Um, mm. And uh, it was a pleasure to play for him, with him for those few years. But he had a, it was almost like a sort of lovable kid quality. I mean, a lot of old players sort of say the energy off the pitch as well, the pranks in the dressing room. I mean, Eric Torsvet told, you know, not a particularly nice one about what he left in his goalkeeping bag and stuff. He was like constantly, constantly on doing stuff. I think him and Sedgley were the two sort of pranks in, in that team, in that dressing room, weren't they? Yeah, they, 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 they got on very well. And Sedge was a prankster as well, exactly. And but I mean, like you said, he, I think he just liked the tension, um, yeah. whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch. But it, it was nothing was ever um, done with malice. It was always sort of like tongue in cheek. But he just liked to have a have a laugh. And but I mean, that, yeah. that's obviously what what made him who he was. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. um, he was just a likable character. Mm. I mean, going. Back to the semi-final, I mean, you, you had a fantastic game that day as well, and, and rightly so, got the nod for the final. Describe the build-up to that, because, again, for younger listeners, this, I mean, this was an era when the FA Cup was still the game. You know, it, it was so important. There was, even then, 91, because the Premier League and Sky didn't really kick in until 92. It was still, you know, this, even at that stage, there wasn't that many games I mean, there were a few, but not that many games shown live. What was the build-up like? And you mentioned at the top of the show, you're a Spurs fan. So what was it like, that build-up to the, that week before the cup final? Well, if, if you think going back 10 years, and I'm still, I'd imagine, maybe today, but maybe not as much, 
for any youngster, mm. cup final day was started at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning when you, you watched the team, you had the reporters at the hotel. So for me, I used to watch every cup final um, from when I started watching football and always dream one day you want to play at that famous stadium and in an FA Cup final. <clears throat> and then to have the chance with your club you support was is nothing better than that. And that week building up, obviously there's a lot of um, press you have to do because obviously there's a lot of interest into the game. So it's not a normal build-up yeah. to a normal Saturday game um, where the press probably would come in once a week. There's, there's, there's photo shoots and there's obviously that with sponsors and everything. So it's a totally different build-up. But, I mean, obviously it's, it's totally nerve-wracking because, again, even though you believe you're going to be in the team, mm. until you get that final nod, you're yeah. still thinking, is it going to happen? And um, obviously I was very fortunate to, to get the nod, so I was over the moon. Mm. I mean, obviously that, that game, that first, First half, everything conspired against us. Uh, Gaza was stretched off after 17 million, uh, minutes. The, uh, there was a foul in the wall for their goal. Uh, Lineker had a goal wrongfully uh, chalked off offside. The missed penalty. What what was said in the dress? What did the manager say in the dressing room at half time? Because it, it, you know it just looked like it was going to be one of those days at that stage. Yeah, I think obviously there was a, a lot of frustration going in at half time, but. Mm what I can remember, he just said, like, keep at it. We're creating mm. chances, obviously. Um, so if you're not creating chances, that's, I think that's the time to worry. But when you're creating chances, like I said, disallowed goal, penalty miss. So you know you're in the game. Um, yeah. So against someone like Knox Forest, because they're a fantastic footballing team, you, they will give you chances. So yeah. obviously then it's whether you take them or not. But um it was there was no panic, but obviously it would have been better not going in um, or going in in front rather than um, not. But I mean, um, again, two great footballing teams because, like I said, Knox Forest were a fantastic footballing team on that stage was was wonderful. Mm. I think he brought. I think Terry brought you off with eight minutes to go of normal time. Brought Paul Walsh on. I think he just wanted probably some fresh legs. I think you'd run yourself into the ground. What uh, what's it like then to have to sit on the bench extra? Extra time, you know, you're part of that team. You're also a massive Spurs fan. Do you remember the, the feeling of sitting there? And obviously, you can't, you can't, you know, control help 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 the players now at this stage. Is that quite difficult to take? Oh yeah, it's very nerve wracking because yeah. it's. But once when you're on the pitch, you can try and do something. But when yeah. you're obviously sitting on the bench, yeah, it's it's, it's like um, it's terrible. But obviously, we had faith in the, the players and the way the team was playing, we had a chance. But we also knew we were playing against a very good Knox Forest team. So, fortunately enough, it worked out for us. Explain that feeling then when you climbed those uh, famous Wembley steps and and, and got the trophy well, and your medal. What, I'm trying try to describe what, what, what the emotion was. Well, it's, it's for me, as in um, a youngster growing up, it was a dream come true. Like you see, you see them walking up there and you think, oh, one day you'd love to walk up there. If you walk up there as a loser, you've still mm. played in a, a cup final. But to walk up and to pick up a winner's medal was just was just something that would just live with me forever. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Amazing. Um, then, obviously, the, the following season, a bit of a shame, I think, in hindsight, Terry kind of went upstairs. Peter Shrews, you've already mentioned, came back. And actually, actually, we had a decent start to the season, then kind of fell away. Apart from, I think we had a good run in the uh, League Cup that season. We went out to Forest, ironically, in the semi final. Um, then there was that whole kind of Sugar v. Venable saga going on. Uh, Gary Lineker left. Lots of new players came in. Uh, Andy Gray, Jason Cundy, Dean Austin, Teddy Sheringham, Nick Barnby, Darren Anderton, Sol Campbell. Um, but all those new faces came in, but that, you still played 34 games that season. Did your role differ in that side with these new players coming in or with the instructions from Peter Shreve kind of the same? Um, well, obviously when new players come in and like I said, if I played 34 games, so obviously I was quite a fixture in, in the team. So yeah. I was playing at that time more inside than, yeah. than on the left, which I preferred to play inside. Um, so obviously for me, it was, it was something that I was really enjoying. And, and like I said, they brought in some, some very, very good players. Mm. The end of that 91, 92 season, I read that you were put on the transfer list and you asked to come off it. Is that, is that correct? Um, I'm, I can't recall. Yeah, it was before. I can't remember. It's just I just I just read that somewhere. Uh, just yeah. at the end of that season. Um, Aussie, Aussie came in then. Uh, you'd obviously mentioned you played with back in '87. Obviously, Steve Perriman came back on the coaching staff. Pat Jennings came in. Um, and you played 39 games in that season under Aussie. Um, Chris, um, Colin Calderwood came in, Jason Dazelle, Stephen Carr, Ronnie Rosenthal. Um, and that season, we had a few notable wins, the biggest being 2-1 at Anfield. You scored a really good goal and a three-all draw against Liverpool at the lane. But remarkably, going into May under Aussie, we'd only won 10 games that season. What was going on behind the scenes? Why do you think there was such a fall away? Because, I mean, on paper, that was a really, really good side. No, it is, and I totally agree with you. And and one thing I've always said, and I'll still say up until today, mm. Aussie tried to bring in a style of play at that time that if it was now, mm. it would have been totally perfect. It was a total football of which is like a Guardiola, the way he plays. Mm. And obviously, um, it took us a while to adapt to it. But I mean, mm. if I honestly still believe to this day, <clears throat> if he was given more time and could have cemented that system where he mm. wanted to play, he would have done tremendously well. Because for me, as a, as a player, the way he wanted to play was just phenomenal. Absolutely. It was just... It was just like a dream come true. And uh, the guy is a World Cup winner. So mm. when he wants you to play away and you believe in it, it's just, it was amazing for me. But obviously it, it was difficult at the time. Um, but I honestly believe if this was being brought in, like when Arsene Wenger came into Arsenal and he started changing mm. their style, I genuinely believe Ozzy would have been a sensational um, manager there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he, he wasn't given time. I mean, that, that season, we travelled to Oldham on the penultimate game of the season, having to win to avoid being in big trouble at the bottom. And I, I remember, again, the conditions were awful. Thankfully, you've got a really important goal, and we can listen to that goal right now. An spell for, for Aussie last year. 
and a good promising finish but it's collapsed about his ears this year and he couldn't have dreamed that a week to go they'd be in this position now remember they won at Newcastle in their first game Rosenthal Samways oh it's a goal for Spurs eight minutes before half time desolation for Oldham Tell you, Vinny Sandwich has got a big thank you to Ronnie Rosenthal. Watch the way he holds it up, he holds it up. He doesn't put it across him, but he looks up and he picks Sandwich out beautifully. But watch this. Look at the goalkeeper. Who's moving to his left? Gerard's gone early. I don't know why. Whether he thought Sandwich was going to drive it, but he should have known better. Sandwich is more likely to do that. And that's curl it in the corner. The goalkeeper completely flat-footed. What a tonic for Tottenham. Do you remember that game against Oldham? I mean, the pressure was on a bit, wasn't it? Yeah, I do remember. And because we went there, and the pitch was just mm. absolutely horrendous. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I do remember that that, that uh, game. Yeah. Yeah, and then the, then your last game uh, in a lily white shirt, May the seventh, nineteen ninety four, two one home defeat QPR. Then Everton came in for you. Were you looking at that stage to leave? What was the story behind it? Yeah, no, to be quite honest, there was a lot of things going around what had happened and what didn't happen. And I did ask to leave. Um, mm. And obviously, uh, it was a big mistake, me doing that, because Ozzy had the utmost uh, faith in me, mm. played me, like I said, virtually every game that season. Mm. And I just, at the time, I'd been there since I was 11 years old. and. Yeah. Sometimes you think the grass is greener on the other side. Um, mm. So I just felt I needed a change. And obviously with a club as big as, as, big as Everton interested and um, obviously it obviously, obviously turned my head. But um, mm. in hindsight, um, I wished I'd have stayed and played up another season under Aussie. Really? That's it? Interesting. I mean, you were, at the time, Everton's record signing, 2.2 million. Not a bad start. I think you scored uh, at Wembley at the, on the Charity Shield against uh, Blackburn. Uh, but it, it didn't work out for you there. Did, did you find it tough to settle up there? It, it wasn't so much uh, I found it tough to settle. Um, obviously, um, Mike Walker bought me uh, when he was manager, and he had his way yeah. of playing. Mm. Um, then Joe Royal came in. And he mm. changed um, the way he wanted to play, which obviously mm. is his choice, which was more back to front. And I respect that. So it was more that I didn't suit into into Joe's um, way of playing, um, which happens uh, happens all the time. It still happens today. So, yeah. um, so it wasn't a case of not being able to settle because um, Everton's a fantastic club. Mm. Well, I'm just trying to remember, were you part of the squad then when Everton beat Tottenham, the 95 FA Cup semi-final at Ellen Road? You were, you were, you were still at Everton then, weren't you? Yeah, I was, I was in the 18-man squad yeah. or whatever it was at the time, but um, I didn't make the bench uh, yeah. in that game. Yeah, that must have been quite weird, though, being a Spurs fan and probably your family at the game. <laughs> and you're playing for the opposition. You're in the opposition camp. Must have been Yeah, uh, well, I remember... I remember my debut, I believe, for for Everton was away 
at White Hart Lane, which was very, very strange. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, that was a strange feeling. Yeah, I can imagine. You then kind of had a, a low moves to Wolves and Birmingham, and then you started this incredible new chapter in your personal life, professional life in Spain. How did the moon to Las Palmas come about? I mean, who, again, for those of you listening, that they were then in the sort of second tier in Spain when you joined. How, how did that move happen? Um, well, I remember when I was at Everton and I just came back off loan. It was either Wolves or Birmingham. Mm. And then I got a call from an agent and said, would I be interested in going to Spain? And mm. I always thought at some stage in my career I'd like to, to play a group. Um, and obviously Spain being a, a place where I love the way they play football, I said, yeah, mm. for sure I'd be interested. Mm. And they mentioned the club, and with total respect, I didn't have a clue where they was. Um, <laughs> they said the Canary Islands. Um, and I thought, okay, well, let's go and look. So yeah. me and my wife went for a week um, over there to look around for the club, and it, the rest was history because the club was just amazing to me. They I had possibly six of my most enjoyable seasons playing at Las Palmas. It was amazing. Yeah, because, I mean, the image, I'm trying to think, the image then, probably the Canary Islands, to most Brits, was like just old British holidaymakers there. I mean, what was it like to sort of to live there? Was it difficult culturally uh, to make that change? Well, obviously, um, like anything, you go somewhere... And the language barrier is obviously very difficult. Um, mm. So, but I mean, the club obviously got me lessons in Spanish. Mm. Not that it really helped, but I mean, <laughs> it got me lessons. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, we were fortunate on the island. There was a lot of obviously Brits yes. that lived there as well. So um, we had to travel a lot to away games. We obviously mm. were on an island. So when we go to away game, we could be away two or three days. So it was important that, Obviously, we moved somewhere on the island where my wife could communicate with, right. with other Brits, so, which we did. We moved down to the south of the island, mm-hmm. um, which the club thought I was crazy because it was 40 minutes away from, from Las Palmas. But in England, 40 minutes to train, and you, you only have to look five miles away to travel yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to take you that long. So yeah. for me, um, to getting my family to adjust was more important because I was always in and around players and it's easy when you're in your job then then your family obviously being at home with, with no one to talk to so um, we were fortunate they settled very quick mm. What Spurs fans will kind of find really strange is that out there you've got a reputation as a bit of a midfield enforcer I mean you got sent off in 13 minutes into your debut and then I think in Spain 69 yellow cards 10 red cards. What happened? Because you're clearly not a dirty player. No, but I mean, to be quite honest, and I mean it with total respect, the refereeing out there, um, obviously, number one, a language problem. So if you ask the referee something or put your hand up, like wave your hand, they'll give you a a yellow card like there's no tomorrow. I mean, um, (laughs) and obviously... Most of that was was just protesting and 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 things like that. and so so that was when I heard that it was just I just used to laugh you know what I'm saying but I mean it was mainly because of obviously um, if if they give a wrong decision you can't even 
protest against it because you're getting yeah. a card straight away. Now, now you're walking on a, a tightrope. So, yeah. um, so that's where the problem came around. Mm. I mean, the, the, the Les Palmas fans absolutely idolised you. And then obviously the 1999-2000 season, you were integral getting them promotion to the uh, top flight. What was, that, what was that like to be part of? That was amazing because I can honestly say for an island of, mm. I don't know how many people live on the island, the supporters are absolutely amazing. Like we used to get um, 20, 25,000 week in, week out at home games, even when it was like in the, the second division. So to get promoted, I've never seen um, so many people come out on the streets when we did a, um, whatever you call it, an open top bus yeah. after the game. It was just amazing. When you think an island so small, their knowledge of football is, is tremendous. Mm. I mean, again, I mean, you talk about how history repeats itself. Like, like when you're at Spurs, Las Palmas also then had financial problems so bad that some of the players didn't get paid. And uh, I think it was 2002. Seville, Seville, you know, Sevilla came in for you. Uh, did you want to leave Las Palmas then? Were you looking to leave? Well, what had happened? We that year we got relegated, mm. and I think I was around 32, 33. So right. bearing in mind, we'd had the, the years of playing in the league, playing at Barcelona, playing at Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Bilbao, mm-hmm. in these massive stadiums. And so you become like accustomed to it. And then yeah. you go down to the second division and um, you've got some very big clubs in the second division, but you also you've got some clubs where you're playing in front of two or three thousand supporters and Mm. at that stage in my career for a club like Seville to come in for me um, to give me a chance to carry on in the Liga obviously Mm. um, it was a great opportunity did I want to leave Las Palmas? No because it was a it was a great club but obviously Sevilla gave me the opportunity to carry on in the Liga. Mm. And it's a beautiful city as well Sevilla isn't it? It's not not a bad place to go. You obviously wow, played in the Seville uh, Real Betis. That's their derby. You obviously played Tottenham Arsenal. I think you probably played in the Everton Liverpool derby, and then Las Palmas versus Tenerife derby. What's the craziest one to play in? Um, I can honestly say probably the most fiercest, and I mean fiercest in terms of like uh, between the supporters was Seville Betis. Right, really. Um, that was that was I mean that was an experience and all. Um, but I mean, obviously, they're all, all the derbies have got their their, um, their rivalry. Tenerife, Las Palmas, a massive rivalry. Obviously, Tottenham Arsenal. We all know how big that is. But Sevilla just had that because I mean they're in the same city. They're in mm-hmm. two clubs. I mean, are are next to each other. Um, so. Yeah. That was that was an experience. That yeah, you then uh, I think you then clashed with one of the coaches in training, and that was it. You didn't get looking after that. What what happened that day? Um, I, I think it was just obviously a, a falling out over. I can't remember exactly mm. in training, and um, like I said, if sometimes if you you fall out with the wrong person, it's difficult to come back. So um, so obviously then. That was sort of the end of that sort of chapter. 
Mm. And then Walsall, uh, were managed by ex-Tottenham player Colin Lee, came in for you. That must have been quite strange because your family was settled in Spain. And is it true then you you used you, you to commute from Spain to the Midlands to play every game? No, what, what had happened, when I left Seville, mm. I couldn't, for some legal reason, I couldn't join another Spanish club till the end of the season. Oh, I so, see. There was, a, there was a few months to go, so obviously Colin offered me the opportunity to, to come back and, and play, which was great. So I went back there. My family came back there with us, and we it was for oh, about two or three months. Um, right. So we stayed, but then he offered me a two-year contract after that. But obviously my family wanted to, to carry on living in Spain um, because yeah. my kids had grown up here, my wife was settled. Mm. So... Obviously, Colin being like the gentleman he was, and he knew that I was a, a good professional, I looked after myself, that he allowed me to play on a Saturday, to fly back on a Sunday right. uh, to Spain and come and come back on the Tuesday. Um, but in between, obviously, I was still training locally. So um, he, he's, he, was a, he was a great help in, in that, and obviously it helped me um, still being in and around my family. Yeah, I see. You then had a brief spell at Alcaceras, and then you retired at 36, I think you were. How tough was it to, to make that decision? Well, um, obviously, anybody retiring um, is uh, obviously difficult, but my, I'd obviously just lost... Uh, my mum had just passed away then, and it was a stage where, you know, when you think... Maybe this. Then I started picking up little injuries, like mm. um, pulling muscles quite easily. Mm. And I think then the enjoyment started going out of it. And once the enjoyment go, goes out of it, and the enjoyment of getting up training every day, then I think yeah. it's time to, you know, it's time to call it a day. Because when you're you're training and you're getting injured, you're out for three or four weeks. You're coming back for mm. a couple of weeks and injured. The enjoyment goes out of it then. So then I think your body's telling you, like, enough's enough. So um, yeah. so I knew then that was time to, to, to call it a day. Fair enough. You then managed the Spanish team, San Pedro, for a little while. What was that like as an experience? Was it was manage, was managing a team something you were looking to do? No. And it's something, <laughs> that, I and it's some, and it's something that I wasn't expecting to do because what had happened, the president of the club is someone that I knew. Right. And he just sacked the manager right. and he said, would I come in to the end of the season just to help him out? So I said, yeah, no problem. And it was an experience that it was just something that as a player, you're only, you're selfish. You think of yourself and, and everything. And but as a manager, whether you've got 18, 20, 25 players, you've got like an old squad to look after. So it was it was a totally different experience, and I'll take me off to every single one of the coaches and managers around that do such a fantastic job. Yeah. Then I read a couple of years ago you were part of an investment team that tried to buy Las Palmas back from uh, the president. What happened there? Um, yeah, I had a, um, an investment group that wanted to buy, um, and we. We put an offer in at the time um, they was in La Liga, but 
were struggling and looked like they were going to go down. So obviously we were negotiating and unfortunately Las Palmas got relegated that year and the price changed, but we couldn't get to an agreement in the end. So, and the president has done a fantastic job there and still doing a fantastic job. He didn't want to, deep down, he didn't want to sell and I don't blame him because this is, it's like he's part of his life. So, mm. um, so it's just that we just couldn't get to an agreement in the end. Have you ever considered coming back to the UK to work or do you just prefer, prefer your life out there now? Um, you never say never. Of course, obviously, if something um, interesting come up, you would look at it, but um, it's not something I'm looking to do. But right. in life, I don't think you ever say um, no and close the doors on anything because you just don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do out there now at the moment? Didn't you have a, a training school and academy going on for a while? Well, I've got, a, yeah, I've got a football agency business. Yeah. So we work, um, we work like in Spain, South America, mm-hmm. um, the Middle East and these kind of places. So, yeah, so I'm still involved in, in football, which is obviously yeah. nice to be involved still. Any, any players on the cheap you can put Daniel Levy's way? Oof. Well, I think uh, Daniel, Daniel would, um, I'm not sure if he would take any of our players just yet. Well, when they get a bit older, then we'll put a few his way. So and we'll, yeah. we'll find a few gems for him because uh, yeah. we'd like to help him out a bit. Keep, keep looking for a backup striker for Harry Kane. We need one. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be okay with him. He's your number one, so you'll be okay. Yeah. So looking back, Vinny, at your time at, at Tottenham, you know, all those for all those years and from an early age, what, what does Tottenham still mean to you now? Well, it's the first it's the first result I look for on a Saturday. Um, and obviously something I'll never forget was when the club invited us back to the last home game at White Hart Lane um, before obviously starting their new project of, of the new stadium. So... Um, I'm still a Tottenham supporter and always will be. Yeah, lovely. That's great. Well, look, Vinny, thank you so much for your time. Uh, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll speak again uh, soon. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.